Welcome to episode 116 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Kathleen, Michelle, Emily, and Tad. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Kathleen, Michelle, Emily, and Tad, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Today, we're going to talk about gathering your chairs in a circle. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to this topic of gathering your chairs in a circle. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your solo host today. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be a discussion of the topic. Following a short break, we'll talk about our lives in recovery, about how we practice these principles in all our affairs. We'll follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing. Actually, before I get into this uh, topic, I want to talk a little bit about stress. In particular, about the stress of having too much to do. If you're a regular listener, you've heard about my work being busy, uh, sort of unremittingly busy, for a couple of years, and that I have a strong feeling of responsibility for what we're doing and how we're doing it, because I was one of the people who helped to plan it. And I also have... Uh, you know, responsibilities and commitments in the rest of my life. And as I was writing that down, I thought the rest of my life outside of work uh, sort of gives this feeling that work is the main thing and everything else is additional to it. Everything else is perhaps um, subsidiary to to work. And I think that there's some truth to that feeling that that I have been very much putting work first and everything else second or third or fourth for quite a long time and some of those commitments outside of work my uh, working with the uh, youth at my church is one of them that I've been uh, committed to for for a number of years and I definitely enjoy I get joy from it there's this podcast which is a very high priority in my life there's taking care of my home Uh, I'm the primary cook and food planner in my family and I take care of the yard And this time of year, when it's warm and wet, the yard needs a lot of attention. And if it doesn't get attention, then things get bad. I still, I have adult children, but they still want and need attention from time to time. And I think I feel that I need to be supporting them. And of course... My relationship with my wife is also, uh, as as you've heard, in something I need to pay attention to as well. 
So there's a lot of things going on. And what has been happening recently is that I think I've been feeling overwhelmed. And I didn't really recognize this till I started to, to think about it for talking about it here. And when I get overwhelmed, when I feel like I have so much to do, too much to do, uh, not enough time to do any of it, then I can, I can shut down. I can, I can say, well, I'm just going to sit here and, and watch a TV show. I'm just going to sit here and play a game on my phone. I'm just going to sit here and read. And the interesting thing about that is that one of the things that doesn't get a priority when I'm feeling that way is sleep. And I could be sitting there, just sitting there on the couch watching something on Hulu or Netflix. And the one I'm watching comes to an end and I'm feeling... Like, it really, maybe it's time to go to bed, but the next one comes up, and I think, oh, well, I'll, I'll watch one more. Sort of addictive behavior there, maybe. Uh, addiction uh, in, in, uh, in support of um, pushing away the discomfort of, of not doing the things that I, quote, should be doing. Yeah, just thought of that. And there may be there may be a little bit of depression there. I'm not sure. This the symptoms are potentially depressive. So, anyway, um, and then of course, since I'm not getting stuff done, I feel guilty for not meeting my commitments. I feel guilty for not getting the things done that I need to get done or that I want to get done. And so that makes me feel more overwhelmed, and that's a, a, a vicious circle. And one of the reasons I'm talking about it now is is so that I recognize it, that I own it. Uh, doing a little inventory, I guess, is what I'm doing here. And then I'm doing step five, right? I'm admitting to God, to myself, and to uh, a few other human beings, you who are listening right now. So I'm recognizing the problem. I'm, And that is, as, as I've said before, that is the next step to, to working forward, to doing something different to uh, having, having this defective character, this shortcoming taken away from me. One of the things that I have been doing as I started to recognize that, that I'm overwhelmed is uh, shedding some responsibilities. Uh, I recently stepped down from my position in the group that planned youth conferences for the multi-state area that I'm in. And part of that was recognizing the beginning signs of burnout. The, the feeling that when it came time for a meeting or a conference that, ah, another one, do I really need to do this? Yes, I really do. Okay, I'll do it. And still enjoying it once it was there. But I know that's, that's, the, that's the first sign. And so I stepped down and, and as a mentioned a couple of uh, podcasts ago, uh, a couple other people s- stepped up, and, and so that was good. And I had thought to take on a new responsibility at church, and that didn't work out, and I think 
in retrospect, that's a good thing. I think my higher power was looking out for me there. I think one of the reasons it didn't work out is because I acted out of stress in a couple of situations. And so I'm, I'm shedding some responsibilities. The other thing that I've been thinking about is what, what is the most, what are the most important things in my life? You know, what are the things that I really, I most want to do or I most need to do? And outside of work, outside of work, there we go again. Outside of work, it really comes down to taking care of myself, to taking care of my body, to taking care of my spirit. And this podcast is a is a big part of taking care of my spirit, and so it is. It it has to remain a priority. Um, I'm not doing so well at taking care of the body, and I'm hoping that by by shedding some other responsibilities, I will find time, make time uh, in my schedule to get uh, to get back to the gym on a regular basis. Sort of inspired inspired about this by uh, another podcast that I listened to, which uh, I'll actually mention in the later segment when I talk about my week. Um, the, the person who does that podcast has made a commitment to put his physical fitness first in his life. And I'm not quite to that point, but it's, it's making me think. It's definitely making me think. And he talks about this, this notion that I can make time, that I can find time, that I just said. And he said, no, that's not the way it works. What you do is you put the thing that's first first, and then you fit the other things around it. And and you may have heard the story of the the rocks in the jar. A philosophy professor comes into class with a jar, and he fills the jar up with rocks, and he asks the class, is the jar full? And the students respond, well, yes, it is. You can't put any more rocks in there. And then he pours in a bunch of pebbles, and they fit in between the rocks. And then he says, well, now is the jar full in there? Well, it certainly is. You, you can't fit any more rocks or pebbles in there. And so then he pulls out a jar of sand, and he pours that in, and the sand filters in around the, the rocks and the pebbles. And he says, well, now is the jar full? And they say, oh, yes, it's definitely full. And so then he takes a jar of water and pours it in and it, and it fills in. And, and at that point, the jar really is full. And if we take that as a metaphor for our lives and the rocks are the, the really important things in our life and the pebbles are the, the lesser things and so on. One of the versions of the, the story that I heard is, is the last one is he pours in coffee and he says, there's always room for coffee, <laughs> which I kind of like because I do, I do enjoy my coffee, but the, uh, the idea is that if we were to put in the pebbles or the sand first, there'd be no room for the rocks. And so the big things, the important things, we, we schedule first. We, we decide that these are important and we put them in there. And then whichever of the other things fit, fit. And whichever the, the other things don't fit, they weren't that important. And so it's okay to let them go. And I did this when I came into Al-Anon. I did this uh, over probably my first year in the program is that uh, Al-Anon became the, the most important thing in my life and everything else had to fit around it. And w- when I started out saying, how could I fit these meetings into my already busy schedule? It then became, well, where do I fit the other things in my schedule around the meetings? And 
I'm, I'm thinking it's time to start doing that with exercise. How do I fit the, other, the rest of my life around my exercise? Anyway, wow, I've gone on uh, really a lot longer on that than, than I intended to. But uh, as far as dealing with this feeling of being overwhelmed, this feeling of too much to do, one of the things that I'm trying to do is, is really a slogan from, from, I think it's pretty sure it's in our book, is doing the next right thing or first things first. When I get this feeling of, oh, I have too much to do. To, yesterday, for example, I wanted to, I wanted to mow the lawn. I wanted to take the dog for a bath. I wanted to grocery shop. Uh, we were having dinner with my daughter and her boyfriend, and there was a concert that I wanted to go to, and I was hoping to to get to to get into work to to work on this current current urgent project out of the long, long, long busy, you know, it's one project after another and of course it being Saturday, I wanted some time for myself so I took some time for myself I mowed the lawn I took some more time for myself, I went shopping I prepared the parts of dinner that I could cook ahead. I went to the concert, which was a short outdoor concert of 45 minutes. We had dinner with my daughter and her boyfriend. And then I took some more time for myself, and then I went to bed early. And if you remember the list of things that I said I thought needed to get done that day, many of them got done, but not all of them. And that was because I did the first things first. I did the next right thing at each point. I mowed the lawn before the rain started. That was good. I went shopping and and prepared dinner before I went to the concert because otherwise we would have been a long time after the concert before we would have eaten. And I needed to do that because the thing that was definitely happening, it was scheduled, was my daughter and her boyfriend coming over for dinner. So I'm going to try to put that into practice. And the other thing that I really... I'm planning to do, I have not yet done it, uh, is to schedule every Friday as a vacation day for, for the summer. Uh, I think that uh, I, need, I need to de-emphasize work a little bit, and that seems to be the only way I can do it. So we'll see how that works out. I'll let you know. A couple of weeks ago, at church, we honored our graduating high school seniors. And the sermon that day was sort of in the form of advice to, to those seniors who were setting out into their adult life. And what caught my ear was the second of the, the points of advice, which, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, was to gather your chairs into a circle. And what does this mean, and, and how does it relate to recovery? And it sort of built on the first point, which was about sitting in your chair, sort of a little bit owning your life, uh, recognizing your uh, individuality and that you have a place and that you have a place to come back to and that's your chair. The, the second point about gathering chairs in a circle was really about finding community, about recognizing that we need community and that if say we turn our chair around and it's facing away from the circle, we shut out that community, we ignore that community, we don't get the benefit of that community. 
and I immediately connected it to Al-Anon. When I came to my first Al-Anon meeting, there were a set of chairs arranged in a circle. And I sat down in one of them. It being my first meeting, I sat down in one close to the door, just in case I needed to leave. And I think that being in a circle, facing other people in the circle, as they talked about the struggles in their lives and the triumph, the hope, the fear in their lives, immediately, well, immediately, at least at the end of the meeting, I felt less alone. I felt less isolated. I really think that 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 physical circle of chairs was more inviting, more welcoming, and uh, more helpful to me than a different a different physical layout would have been. If we had been sitting in chairs in a row facing a speaker at a podium, I don't think I would have felt the same. I would have felt audience speaker rather than one of a group of equals, one of a group of equal sufferers, one of a group of maybe equally finding recovery, although first meeting definitely was not looking for recovery, was just looking for some comfort, was looking for something, some help. I didn't know what. And so when we gather our chairs in a circle, whether it's a physical circle or a metaphorical circle, we form a community. And I've been been learning over the last several years about the value of community and about the, the, the different kinds of community that I am part of, the different kinds of community that I can help to make. When, and this became more evident to me when I was going to youth conferences. Be, at one of the one of the very first that I went to, another adult who had much more experience in the conference led a uh, an orientation for the adults at the conference because some of us had had not been to a conference before or not been to many conferences before. And, and what he said was, we are forming an intentional community for this weekend. And I had never thought of this idea of intentional community, of, of forming a community. And what, what do we do to form a community? How do we form a community? How do, how do we be in community with people that maybe we haven't met before and maybe won't meet again, but we are together for this period of time. And one of the, one of the components of that is being in a circle, facing each other, looking into each other's eyes, hearing each other's voices, hearing each other's joys, aspirations, and sorrows. And that, 
that happens to me every time I'm in an Al-Anon meeting. Having our chairs in a circle is, is so important to my recovery. Sometimes, and I think, as you may have heard in the, in the introduction uh, when I was talking about stress, sometimes I turn my chair away from the circle. Sometimes I isolate myself. And especially, especially when life is hard. It, it is not first nature to me to reach out for help when, when life is hard. And I think, certainly I have heard from many others that that is true of them as well. And particularly when the trouble in my life comes from something that the people in my existing circles have not experienced. Maybe you've experienced this too, where you you try to talk to somebody about your loved one's alcoholism or addiction, and they didn't they hadn't been there they didn't understand they started giving advice that was not helpful or maybe they just said oh that sounds that sounds so horrible and then went on and and actually that may be the most helpful response um, of of all they might have asked questions that you didn't want to answer because they hadn't been there. They didn't understand. And coming into finding a new circle to sit in, finding a circle of people who have been there, people who do understand, for me was just really critical to, to having me turn my chair around and come back into the circle because the circles that I was in weren't helping, and so I left them. So find our circle. You know, and at most of our meetings we do, most of the meetings that I go to, we sit in circles, whether it's a circle of chairs in a room, whether it's sitting around a table. We face each other, we talk to each other. And I like that. I've been to some meetings that we're more in a speaker audience format. And those, those can be very, very useful, very helpful to me. But I really like the community of the circle. And, and again, as I, I think I said before, but when we come into the circle, we, we hear other people's stories, we hear other people's experience, and we can identify with that experience, we start to see that we're not alone, that our experience is not unique, that other people have faced the same things. And, and then we can listen to what they did. How did they face these things? How did they work through these things? How did they find serenity in the face of seemingly hopeless situation? And I was talking to my daughter yesterday as we were walking from the concert back to her car. I'm not sure how the, how the topic came up. I think it was just about friends from high school because the, the person 
who had been singing was a friend of hers from from high school, and so I think she was she was thinking back a little bit, reminiscing, and she she said, "You remember this this pair of kids from a family that we were friends with back in middle school and, and high school, and you know how uh, one of them came out a few years ago as transgender and changed their name, and now the other one is also." Um, changed their their name and their pronoun and i might have said something like you know what what's with what's with that in the sense that my kids have a lot of friends who are other than the gender they were assigned at birth are not necessarily directly in the gender binary not necessarily as male or female and my daughter said well I think I can give the same answer that I gave to Mama when she asked about, I think the expression was, what did you do to that previous boyfriend of yours who is now female? I think, I think she meant it in, in humor. Uh, my daughter said that her observation is that when people find themselves in a circle where gender is openly discussed and where gender alternatives uh, is openly discussed and, and where people recognize and accept and, and are in transition of one sort or another in their, in their gender, that then they, I, they can say, wait, that's my experience. That's how I feel. And they can they can see in themselves something that they hadn't been able to see before. Wow, that is so much what happened to me and what I hear happens from friends in the program that, that we come in and we start to hear other people's experience and we start to say, oh, that's me. That's my loved one. That's my life. I don't know. I don't know how many times I've said in a meeting, "How did you live inside my head? Have you been living inside my head?" When somebody else said exactly the thing, exactly the thing that had been going through my mind or that had happened to me, that had been my my life experience. And so, coming into coming into the circle can be valuable in allowing us in bringing us to recognition of things that are true in our lives that we just hadn't seen. That we just hadn't seen. Um, and, and so for me, the circle of community in the Al-Anon program has been so important and continues to be so important. Because it's, it's a place in which I can look at you I can see your eyes, I can hear your voice, I can hear your story, and, and you can hear mine. And we can share and cry and laugh and grow together in that circle of chairs. So if you're still out there on your own, if you still have your chair turned away from the circle, or maybe you haven't found your chair, come into a circle or build a new circle. 
to close with a reading from the book How Al-Anon Works. This is from the end of chapter 6, which is titled Breaking Our Isolation. Clearly, Al-Anon offers many ways to reach out for the loving support and comfort each of us needs and deserves. By coming together, we gain strength and confidence. We learn that we are not really so unique, and we find hope for ourselves in the progress we see all around us. The fellowship is just one part of our story of healing and change. After a short break, we'll continue with our lives in recovery, where I'll talk about how recovery works in my daily life and in my meetings. The first uh, musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 116, is by Patty Griffin. It's called Moses. And I hadn't, I had, I had actually picked out a different song for this, this selection, and then I was listening to the All Songs Considered podcast, and they had an episode titled something like Songs That Make Us Cry, where they had had listeners write in and call in about songs that made them cry for one reason or another. And a listener wrote in about this song, talking about how she hears in this song how Patty Griffin is, is talking about singing about being alone, about being in trouble and being alone and not having anybody that she can turn to, and, and she needs a Moses. To, to bring her to life and or to bring her to the promised land, I suppose. And I think I was there. I was there before Eleanor, and I found, if you will, my Moses uh, in the circle of chairs in the, in the program. Here's some lyrics. And everywhere is somewhere and nowhere is near. Everybody got somebody with their wine and their beer. So I'm just this tragic figure in the corner over here with an empty apartment and a best friend who is queer. Every time I see him, he smiles, and he tells me how well he's walking these miles, but he never, ever asks a single thing about me. If I die, he'd hear about it eventually. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives and recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. And I guess our and means mine because I'm here by myself, but you're listening, so I'm not alone. And actually, the first thing I want to say is, is what's happening right now this morning and, and over the last many days and according to the forecast over the next many days it was raining. It is raining. It seems to have stopped right now. And I was sitting at breakfast with the, the door to the deck open behind me and smelling the warm, humid air, hearing the rain pattering on the, the deck and on the, the umbrella over the deck table. And it took me back to my childhood. When, when I was a child, we spent all summer every summer camping uh, at some property that my parents and my grandparents had bought together on a lake. And fairly early on, they built a screened house because it does rain and the mosquitoes do come out at night. And it was good to have a place other than a tent to, to retreat to for, for meals and for fellowship. And I just 
felt myself back in that place. I felt myself sitting in that screened house with my family, possibly uh, singing in a circle after dinner. There's that circle again. With the rain pattering down on the leaves and the roof around us. And there was this real feeling of comfort. So when I came into the studio to record the episode, I opened the window so that I could continue to have that that sound and smell of the rain. And I actually positioned a microphone in front of the window. Uh, it's recording into a separate track, and I'm, I'm feeling that I'm going to mix in some of the rain, some of the birds, the birds chirping out there, and it's just a very, uh, for me, a very peaceful and, and welcoming and comforting uh, sort of background to have. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I am. And I guess I could say a little bit about program here because recognizing part of part of a big part of the program for me is is recognizing what's going on in my life and being present in the moment, not living in the wreckage of the future or regretting the past. And I don't know if I necessarily would have thought to do this if without the, the, the tools and the experience that the program has given me. I was listening, maybe yesterday, I was listening a couple days ago to one of the podcasts that I listen to regularly. It's a podcast sort of about podcasting. It's called Podcast Answer Man, which sounds like it's about podcasting. Uh, but at this point, he's... 400 and some episodes in and it's partly about podcasting but it's more about as he puts it taking your life and your business to the next level and he does talk about podcasting topics but he also talks about life and business and taking things to the next level this episode was different this episode was just about something that had happened to him in the past week and how it had affected him and and how it had maybe changed some things for him as well. And the part that's relevant, most relevant to the recovery show was that the thing that had happened was that his his biological father died um, I think his father had left when they were young. His father was uh, alcoholic and drug addict and never found recovery. And and he had a very mixed relationship with his father, uh, mostly estranged. I think he said he would see him on Christmas and New Year's, uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving. And recently recognized that that was probably the cause of the depression that he got into towards the end of each year. He said he thought it, had thought it was seasonal affective disorder, but he decided that in fact, no, it was, he was seeing his dad and all the mixed emotions that came with it because he loved his father, but he pretty much couldn't stand to be with him. And, and I, wow, I can, I can relate to those, not in relationship to my father, but you know, in relationship to, to my loved one uh, who's an alcoholic. And, and when, she was drinking and how I 
sometimes didn't want to be with her. I didn't want to be seen with her. Um, I didn't want to be with her sometimes. And he, in, in this um, narrative that he told, he struggled with the fact that one of the, like, maybe the first emotion that he felt when he heard that his father had died was relief. And he felt that he shouldn't feel that way. That, that somehow this was an inappropriate feeling to have at the death of his father. He said he also felt some grief and sadness, but, but that that relief was still there. And, and I just thought, well, yeah, uh, I could totally understand feeling relief. I do remember there were times when I thought, didn't, wouldn't life just be easier if she wasn't here? And yeah, I felt guilty about those thoughts, but feelings are feelings. And and I listen as I listen to this, and I listen to him talk openly about, um, you know, his life with with his father, his feelings about his father, and and I don't think this this guy has is in any kind of uh, you know twelve step or whatever recovery program. He he's just dealing with it on his on his own terms. He also told a story of redemption. Um, he told a story of a personal victory, and he told a story of a deeper connection with his own son that resulted from this experience. And when he started telling this story, he said, you may be in tears at the end of this, and, and I think I was. Um, I was walking to work uh, on a public sidewalk, so they were discreet tears, but my eyes were definitely full of water by the end of end of the story. So if if you want to listen to this, and, and I think I would suggest that, that you know it's a good it's a good story to listen to. It's it's not a story of recovery, but it's a story of somebody being honest about the things that happen the things that happened in his life as a result of somebody else's alcoholism and addiction and, and how they continue to affect his life as an adult. Anyway, that's, it's at uh, podcastanswerman.com slash 405 is the episode. I will put a link in the show notes at therecoveryshow.com slash 116. Check it out. The, uh, the other thing that's not been happening in my life the last couple of weeks, and, and again, uh, some of the isolation thing comes into it and some of the busy thing comes into it, is I actually did not make it to meetings for almost two weeks because I was out of town for the weekend. I went to a concert and I had a work thing and a bunch of stuff. Um, I spent time with my wife, you know, and things are important and we make choices, but I did feel, I think I was getting a little squarely from, from not having been to meetings. I did make it to my Saturday morning meeting yesterday. We were talking about step three, which seemed like a good place to be. And um, the observation that I, that I had, um, that I shared in, in, in the meeting was that 
step three says, um, you know, turning over our will and our life to the care of God as we understand him. And for me, that, that means doing, doing the things that need to be done rather than necessarily the things I want to do. And maybe not doing some things that I want to do that don't need to be done. Um, and that, that connects pretty closely to, to where, we, where I am today with all the stress and everything. So maybe that's why I was thinking of it. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't have to necessarily, sometimes I still struggle with, with the God concept. I don't necessarily have to put God into that. There are things, there are the, the things that need to be done. And I can recognize those through prayer and meditation. I can recognize those through listening in a meeting. I can recognize those by going to a meeting. Um, I can recognize those by reading literature. I can recognize those by reading other uh, other books about some of the issues that I struggle with. And it's taking my ego out. And I had a I had a, a small example from work where we're in the middle of a project which has a deadline, an externally imposed deadline. Uh, and it's of a very high importance to the business. So we sort of broke it out and said, well, these are the, these are the steps that we need to take. These are the, the um, in, in the terminology that we use at work, these are the stories that we need to execute. And then as a group, we decided which ones were the, the most important and which ones were less important. And so what order uh, we should work on them in. And I looked at that and said, well, you know, I'd really rather do this one, which is after this other one, but, you know, that's my will. I want, I want to work on the one that looks like it's more fun, but I need to work on the one that's more important, the one that's more critical to, to, to getting done. Um, and, and so, you know, I turned my will over to the group in that matter, um, the group is a higher power than I am because the different people in the team have understanding of maybe parts of the problem that I don't have understanding of. And when we bring that all together, we get a more holistic view of, of what's most important or what's most important to do first. Uh, some things maybe, if we do them in a particular order, we can start to resolve the issues that we're resolving with this project. Whereas if we do them in a different order, maybe they all pile up to the end and then they all, they all have to get resolved at once. And since that resolution involves another person who's actually outside the organization, it's probably good to be able to give them and say, okay, we think this one's fixed. Okay. We think this one's fixed rather than wait, 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 wait. Hey, they're all fixed. Um, anyway, so turning my will over to the higher power of the team and doing things in the order that the team has decided is right. Good thing. So, thinking ahead, our uh, upcoming topics that uh, thinking about are include worry, obsessive thinking, or maybe worry and obsessive thinking, because they are different sides of the same coin or die or something. Stretching a metaphor. Uh, and uh, also we'll be getting back together with Akila to talk about, I think, concepts six and seven together because they're about trustees and authority. And, and it'll be really interesting to see how we pull that 
into our daily lives? How do we relate that to things that are are true in our lives rather than necessarily in the organization of the Al-Anon family groups? We do welcome your thoughts. Uh, I know a couple of you have uh, have offered to uh, co-host or contribute to uh, episodes uh, on worry. And I think one of you mentioned obsessive thinking as well. And uh, so I, I, I plan to reach out. Um, I thank those of you who have made those offers. Uh, and uh, part of the reason that maybe you haven't gotten a response has to do with you know, point back to the discussion at the beginning of the episode about about stress and about isolation and about turning away and about, oh, I can't do everything, so I won't do anything. Um, that's where it was. And I'm trying to move out of that. Please encourage me. Thank you. And actually listening to your voicemails and reading your emails uh, really is encouraging. Again, when I'm isolating, I'm like, oh, a voicemail. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to respond to that. I'm going to have to listen to that. That's going to take time. I don't have time. <sighs> Sigh. Slow down and find time. Slow down and make time. Um, and I actually ended up listening to some voicemails while I was riding home on the bus the other day, and it was very good. I'm like, oh yes, I am appreciated. No. <laughs> anyway. Um, so thank you for those of you who have called and written. And if you're thinking about calling or writing, how do you do that? Well, you can call using your telephone, leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. That number does go directly to voicemail after Google Voice gets its its shot in, I guess, um, sometimes. Uh, That's 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation directly from your computer. Both of those do have a time limit. The phone uh, time limit is three minutes. The uh, voicemail uh, button on the on the website is a minute and a half. You can always call more than once. Uh, and if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecoveryshow.com. It's very simple. And we'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of gather your chairs in a circle or our secondary primary topic about stress or about any of our upcoming topics. And if you have a topic you'd like to talk about, let us know, and and thank you for those of you who have suggested topics. You can find all the information about the show at the website, which is therecoveryshow.com, all one word, well, with .com on the end. It includes notes for each episode, links to the music we talk about, uh, links to other things we talk about in the episode, uh, such as the podcast Answer Man episode, and also the uh, episode of... um, all songs considered, where I um, heard the uh, the Patty Griffin song Moses, and you can contribute to the conversation in many ways. Um, I have mentioned some of them already. Uh, you can also be a guest host uh, by phone or Skype or FaceTime or other electronic communication. Uh, email feedback at therecoveryshow dot com if you're interested, and. There's a couple different levels there. We can do an interview sort of thing that maybe takes 20 minutes. Uh, we can do a whole show that tends to take about two hours. I'm going to take a short break before looking at the overflowing mailbag. The second musical selection, which is also available on the website, is The Circle is Small. And it's by Gordon Lightfoot. And, well, I think this lyric here just 
sort of summed this up for me why I picked this song. The city where we live might be quite large, but the circle is small. Why not tell us all, and then all of us will know? And I have found, and hopefully you have found, in my larger community, the city or the village or whatever community you live in, I have found a smaller circle, which is very important to me for my recovery. And so I'm telling you, and now you know. One of the joys that that comes from having not recorded an episode for a couple of weeks is that I have lots of email and lots of voicemail. Love to hear from you. Lori sent us a, a codependency anecdote in an email. She says, Love your show and consider it a vital part of my recovery. I just came back from a very restorative yoga class and thought you'd enjoy this anecdote. I tried a new class today, and being a holiday weekend, it was packed with people. A few minutes into class, my attention was pulled toward a man who was huffing and chuffing through his practice. And while it was distracting, I was more distracted thinking about how his loud breathing and snuffing must be driving the woman in front of him crazy. Made me think of something you said once about your codependency kicking in at a theater when someone is coughing and how concerned you get for all the other people in the audience disturbed by this person, even though it's not something the cougher can control. At the end of class, as I'm rolling up my mat, I discovered that the chuffing man and nearby woman were in fact a couple. I laughed myself and said, well played, higher power, well played. Next class, I will keep my judgments and codependence to myself and focus on my breathing and yoga practice. Lesson learned. Namaste, Spencer, Lori. And, and thanks, Lori, for that. And it is, it is so true uh, about taking on worries that other people might not even be having. And, and uh, I know I do that. I'm sure I remember something quite recently where I was doing that. And yeah, lesson learned. Lesson learned, but not necessarily always executed. Hmm. Brian left a comment on the website uh, on the episode about of pu- on public outreach. I found the podcast because you have Alan on in the description. Please keep it if you can. And I think he's responding there to my concern that um, using the word Alan on for something that's not, um, you know, part of the Alan on program, but that it's there so that people can find it. It's a dilemma. Uh, Brian continues. Eric was very motivational. Outreach is something I want to incorporate into my program, and this is a great how-to Note version. I still can't believe he has been able to get Alateen into schools. That's amazing. One of my meetings had a member's 14-year-old niece attending for a while. Having her there seemed to soften me up a bit and get me out of myself. I used to feel uncomfortable in meetings because I seemed to be the youngest one there. To look at her and imagine how she felt, it took guts to sit through the meeting, smile, and, and share at her age. I'm feeling very codependent at the moment because of some things that are happening in my life and the way I've chosen or programmed myself to respond. Looked up episode 66, Codependency, and gave it a listen. Really identified when you were talking about trying to figure out what was going on in someone else's head, anticipate what they might need, and then doing things before I'd been asked. Looking at it now, it seems like I was trying to act like the bellboy from Moonrise Kingdom, always anticipate and not be seen or heard. Realized that I had some triggers in this situation based on some old stuff that I guess I need to work on. Had a topic idea, but it escaped me. Guess it's time to do that self-care thing and go to bed. Thanks, Brian. 
Uh, Rosa wrote in with some thanks. I just wanted to say I'm so very grateful that I found your page and podcasts. I'm struggling very hard with becoming less codependent and trying to set appropriate boundaries. I fear I've enabled so long that it's too broken to save, but I'm holding on as best I can. The information you share helps more than words can properly express. Music selections are perfection, too. Thanks so much for sharing. And and thank you, Rosa, because I'm sure you're saying things that, that someone else, maybe you listening right now, uh, is thinking or feeling. And I, I think I want to respond to a couple of things you said here. Uh, say, I fear I have enabled so long that it's too broken to save. And I guess my own experience is that, that some of the things that uh, in my life that, that, quote, were too broken uh, are just taking longer. That when I work at it, I do make progress. And sometimes I forget or I get stressed and I backslide. And okay, that happens. But the program has given me the ability to recognize that and to move on when I need to. So keep on coming and you too will find help, as we say. And thank you so much for your words about the music. I, I work hard on finding the music, and sometimes I wonder if anybody's listening, so thank you. Emily left a comment on the website. Hi, Spencer. My name is Emily Ann. I'm one of your regular listeners from the UK. I listened last night to your podcast on prayer, and I wanted to share it back with you. I have been attending Al-Anon for about eight months now, and I'm part of a wonderful and evolving home group. I also attend local AA meetings occasionally, which have been really helpful for me to nurture compassion and gain greater strength and hope. The shares in the AA rooms really give me courage as I see others being so brave facing the disease of alcoholism. A fellow member of my home Al-Anon group told me about your program, and since then I've been literally devouring all your podcasts. I have been struggling in a loving yet toxic codependent relationship for 18 years with a husband who struggles with addictive behavior. We have three wonderful children have been working hard over the past year or so to take the steps needed to try and change our lives so we can remain together despite the difficulties of the disease of addiction which has affected all of our lives. The podcasts on control and the four M's were particularly helpful. In my home meeting last night, we were discussing step six as our topic, being entirely ready to have God remove all your defects of character. I have been struggling with the whole concept of a higher power for some time now. My autonomy and sense of self-will is so strong it has been hard for me to let go of the desire not to think I can fix everything myself. The fact that my family of origin was also not one where there was any spiritual or religious frame of reference at all had left me a pretty confident atheist for many, many years. My parents were rebelling against their own religious and fairly conservative upbringings. They were children of the 60s who participated in the anti-capitalist, anti-religion, and anti-sexist revolution. Whilst I grew up accepting many of these values, I have realized over the past few years that this has also left me very unclear about stuff like boundaries and with a deep lack of any spirituality. Someone, maybe it was you, talked a while ago about a God-shaped hole. Attending last night's meeting about Step 6 and then listening later to your podcast on prayer last night has made me really examine this God-shaped hole inside of me. It was really great to listen to your experience, some of which resonated with me, and I especially loved the songs and prayers which you shared. I think it has enabled me to take the next steps in nurturing some spirituality and finding my own higher power. I love the comment you made, fake it till you make it. It made me see that I can just start the process. I don't need a bolt of lightning or shiny light to come bouncing into the room. 
I will try this. You're very inspirational to me, as are all the other co-hosts who share their experience. Despite being so far away across the other side of the world, I can feel such love and hope. Thank you. I have now started to write my own list of prayers. Love from the UK. And and thank you so much, Emily, for, for your share. Um, I know there there's somebody out here, somebody listening who can identify with you, um, as indeed um, I can. And God-Shaped Whole is, is definitely something I've heard uh, around the rooms. It may be something I've said on the podcast. Certainly not original to me. And um, there was another thing you said here. Finding, oh, fake it till you make it. That is something my first sponsor told me when I was struggling with step three. I was told, well, fake it till you make it. Do the actions and the understanding will come. And, and another way that, that I have heard that expressed, and I definitely have expressed it here, is acting my way into right thinking. I don't seem to be able to think my way into right acting, but if I practice the actions, then sometimes my thinking will shift and then the actions become easier, the actions become normal, the actions become part of my life, they become part of the way I am. Uh, And that seems to work better for me. So good luck on your journey. Uh, Lori responded to a question I had a couple weeks ago about uh, people who visit uh, the website at therecoveryshow.com on their phone. She says, in the spirit of participation, I'm reaching out via cell phone to encourage the mobile optimization of your website. I primarily access it via phone when traveling and on my iPad when I'm home. If I use my laptop, I might be tempted to peek at work. I use your site for show notes and links to search for topics and to give feedback. Keep up the good work. Warm regards, Lori. And thanks, Lori, for that, uh, that note. Um, I really am, really am going to do it uh, when I get some time. Uh, I have to you know, look at the priority and importance relative to the other things in my life, right? Right. I got a voicemail from Tad. Hi, this is Ted. I'm a member of both the AA side and the Al-Anon side. I really appreciate your podcast. Um, The last show that I listened to was about uh, public outreach. It was really very interesting. made me think about all the different ways that we can contribute and also um, made me think about bringing up, uh, there's one uh, Al-Anon meeting I go to in particular that um, doesn't have a lot of, uh, I mean, we don't have a GSR, we don't, there's not a lot of service work that's being done, and so we could bring that up at a topic at the next next business meeting. Um, anyway, uh, it was a very thoughtful topic, and uh, you had a great guest, and I really like what you're doing. So thanks so much. Thank you, Ted. Got a voicemail from Carrie. Hi, Spencer. This is uh, Carrie calling from Santa Fe, New Mexico, and um, I'm calling to leave feedback about the recovery show. In particular, um, the public outreach episode 115, um, I listened to that today, um, and today is the 10th of June, and uh, it was super fantastic. I just loved it. A little bit about me, I... um, I've got about nine years in uh, this. At the end of this month, I have nine years in Al-Anon, and um, I am the Alatine coordinator for Santa Fe. I'm district treasurer. Um, 
I am GR for my group, and I just sort of landed with the public outreach um, information and did some ad hoc um, stuff myself, uh, including going to Santa Fe High and meeting with a team of uh, counselors there. And I carry uh, an Alateen meeting to the Santa Fe County Youth Development Program at the Youth Detention Center for every week for uh, almost a year now. I have a, uh, another Amias that goes with me uh, now for about three or four months. Um, so now we can carry meetings to both the boys and the girls sometimes. Anyway, this episode, I just I emailed it sort of by accident to the list of our intergroup, and hopefully um, some people will get some benefit out of it. It was just was so clear, so direct, so well-organized. And um, I got some ideas for more things that um, we can do here, as well as um, there was some matching things. I got to um, go and meet with the assistant to the drug court judge, and nobody from Al-Anon had ever contacted her before. So lots of lots of positives. Of course, things move slowly, but I loved your idea about candy on the table. My dear friend Sarah in the program turned me on to the podcast. They, I listened to two each way driving up and down um, from New Mexico to Wyoming and back. And it was a great um, comfort and uh, source of uh, focus for me. And I think it's wonderful. So um, thanks for doing it. And I'm looking forward to more podcasts, and maybe um, I'll send you a a feedback via email as well. All righty. Take it easy. Thanks so much. And then she followed up with with an email. She said, hey, Spencer, what a wonderful podcast this was. The Recovery Show is a friend and companion to me right now. My dad died April 11th, and my friend told me about it just before I went on the road to Cheyenne for Dad's 40-Day Memorial. I listened to two podcasts each way, 500 miles each way. And though I would like to attend more than two meetings a week, my energy during this grieving process won't allow it. So the podcasts are just the ticket for me. I listened to the public outreach one today as I cleaned my refrigerator. Honestly, it is such a comfort for me right now because I have a low tolerance for groups at this time, and this allows me another avenue for ongoing recovery. The death of my father and the subsequent process of grieving his death has forced me to utilize the tools of the program in an even more active way. I've had to ask for help and thus shared leadership is in action. There's more to say about this, but it will have to wait for another time. Mostly, I want you to know how pleased I am about this show and all the gifts that it's given me so far. I will be back in contact with you soon. I am sharing it with friends and sponsees and will make a donation soon. What a gift. Thank you for creating this. Sincerely, Carrie. And uh, and thank you, Carrie, for all those words. Um, thank you. And I'm glad that, that we, um, you know, that we're helping because that's why we're here. I do this partly because it helps my program, but uh, the outreach part of it is also, is also huge. And I did pass on uh, your email to, uh, to Eric. Um, and I uh, also got... A voicemail from Brian. Hi, Spencer. It's Brian J. Wanted to talk to you about your upcoming topics of 
worry and uh, obsessive thinking. Right now I'm going through that. Um, I've been fortunate to have my higher power and my qualifier's higher power work some miracles in our life. And um, I want to be grateful for that and I want to keep my mind on that. But I've also got some pretty serious drama going on in my extended family. And I have to keep constantly drawing myself back to gratitude because my old patterns of obsessive thinking um, want to dwell on the negative and want to just sit in that place and stew and fester and try to think of ways to fix it and try to figure it out um, just for today. I'm going to try to overcome those urges and keep my mind on gratitude and keep my mind on the fact that um, the people I'm worried about do have their own higher power and have their own plan in life and good things can happen to them too. Thanks, Brian. Um, and uh, it's good a good bit of, um, well, advice, I guess, um, about keeping your mind on gratitude um, because uh, that is one way to recognize that not everything is horribly wrong by recognizing the things that we are grateful for right now. And an email from Ginger about the episode on criticism. She says, Hello, Spencer. I recently came into recovery via Al-Anon. I'm finding that although my core is Al-Anon, there's a great deal of wonderful information in other recovery programs. I especially love the Recovery Show podcast and the sister podcast, Recovered, as I can craft and listen at the same time. Read, create, and learn. I have been floundering in my program lately. Well, actually, floundering from the beginning. It is very hard getting past the words and attitudes of my family of origin that are stuck in my head. I often wonder if I would have been able to bring any serenity to my father, a man who punished people by sending them to AA. Ironic that someone who hated 12-step programs saved so many lives. I've really stalled out these last few months. By choice, I do not have a sponsor. I do believe a sponsor is a wonderful tool. The problem is my father's voice in my head talking about people in recovery. I have this wonderful gift slash defect from him of tearing people apart. Before the program, I did this all the time verbally. I know that I would do that to a sponsor, if not verbally, then mentally. This is not cool. My current recovery ambition to do is to learn to truly respect others. I've listened to the Recovery Show podcast on criticism and find it helpful, but I wonder... If you have any suggestions on developing respect for others, thank you, Ginger. That's a good question, Ginger, uh, because it's something that I, I per- also struggle with. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe not as severely as, probably not as severely as, as it sounds like you do. And you know what happens in a meeting? Somebody will start talking, and for some reason I find myself... Uh, prejudiced um, against that person, maybe from their previous shares, maybe from what their voice sounds like. Um, and, you know, I recognize this as a character defect. Uh, and, and, and I work to, to overcome it. Uh, I work to minimize it, uh, I guess, is reduce it is, is more appropriate. And so how, what, what, what tools do I use? One of the things that, is a core part of my spiritual belief um, is that we are all 
children of God, uh, we are all worthy of respect as individuals. We are all we are all worthy people, and that helps. But still, putting it into practice uh, can be difficult. I'm still working on that. Definitely, I. Uh, some of the talk, self-talk that I use might be helpful. I, I remind myself that people, in particular at meetings, people are at meetings because you know, their life is not perfect and they have recognized it and they're looking for help. And because of that, we're all broken people. And... I try to I try to see people in that common humanity, that common brokenness, and and to to give people slack um, that they are in a program looking for help, and in that way they're way ahead of a lot of people who are equally broken and not not yet recognizing it and not yet looking for help, not yet looking for change. Um. I try to listen, and when I listen and really pay attention to what somebody's saying and not who they are and not how they're saying it, I can hear things that I need to hear. I can hear things that are meaningful to me. I can hear things that speak to my life, that speak to the problems I have, that speak to answers for some of the problems that I have. If I tune them out because oh, this person never says anything, or I just don't like this person for some reason, uh, or whatever little picking people apart criticism I might have, uh, I'm going to miss that. I know I've said this before, but it it bears saying again because it's so important to me to remember it. When I pay attention to people, when I listen to them, when I try to turn off that critical voice inside my head, I hear things I need to hear. I hear the voice of my higher power. I hear wisdom. I hear tools. I hear, maybe I hear something in my life that I'm not recognizing. But I hear things I need to hear. I talked a couple of episodes ago about a technique that I I got from a book that I've been reading about listening about trying to put myself into the other person's movie. And the the concept as expressed in the book is when you go to a movie, you get sucked into the lives of the characters and you're able to turn off your, your otherness and you're able to some extent to turn off your critical thinking because you engage and you, and then you care about it. And, and so when you're listening to somebody, if you can put themselves into their movie, if you can think about, what they're relating as a movie and try to put yourself into it, uh, it can make it um, make me more able to to actually hear what they're saying. And I've tried this technique sometimes, and it and it has worked. And I can't say that uh, I'm really good at it, but it it is an interesting other technique. Um, with regards to to sponsor and with regards to feeling critical about a sponsor, uh, several times over the last. Um, decade I have I have found myself looking for a new sponsor and I look around the rooms and say well you know, I don't want that person to be my sponsor because and that person can't be my sponsor because 
And this gets right to um, something that I think I first heard actually from my wife about um, identifying rather than comparing. And when I can identify with the things that I have in common with somebody else rather than comparing myself to the things I see that are different between us, uh, I'm much more likely to to see that person as authentic and as valuable and as somebody that, oh, well, maybe they could be my sponsor. Um, one of the things that I value in a sponsor and that I model as a sponsor is to be open and vulnerable, to be myself, to be imperfect. I'm not looking for perfection in a sponsor. I'm looking for somebody who is not me, somebody who can help me see things that I don't see because they're outside of me. Um, And at this point in my program, and earlier in the program, I wanted somebody with more experience in the program, and I wanted somebody who was in the same life situation so that I could ask questions about that life situation and they could answer from experience. Uh, Now I'm just looking for somebody who's not me, who has strength of program and can... um, help me to, to step outside of myself and to see um, my higher power's will rather than my will at times. So, I don't know. Hope that helps. And uh, if it doesn't, uh, write back. We have uh, a listener who sent some thanks. Says, hi, I'm relatively new to Al-Anon. I've been going to meetings for a while, but haven't gotten a sponsor or really started working the steps. I tend to be slow in a lot of areas of my life, gathering a lot of information and letting it percolate before taking action. Hmm, probably a lot is behind that, but I'm not ready to unpack it just yet. In the meantime, meetings, literature, and this podcast are really helping me deal with being married to an active alcoholic and helping me prepare for the next level of recovery. I've listened to about five episodes so far, dipping back into the archives and listening to the most recent ones. One of the things I really like about the podcast is the way you can really go so deep into a topic. Another thing that is great about the podcast format is that I can listen to it on my iPad while I'm clearing the kitchen or watching, walking the dog, and my qualifier doesn't even notice. I guess this isn't that unusual, but the alcoholic in my life hates that I go to Al-Anon. So yes, I have skipped a few meetings just to avoid that fight, and I've skipped a few others in order to enjoy a rare sober evening with my spouse. I don't lie about Al-Anon or my recovery, but I don't feel like it's helpful to either of us for me to make announcements about it if it doesn't come up. So having this podcast that I can listen to discreetly anytime I need to is a big help right now. Thank you so much. Signed, D. And, and, and thank you, and I'm, again, glad, uh, glad we can help. And uh, I'm glad that you have found recovery and that you're sticking to it, despite the, uh, the negative attitude of your spouse. I'd also like to share a couple of reviews from iTunes. Uh, I recently signed up for a service that will deliver the most recent iTunes reviews to me about once a month. Uh, I had been using an app that would pull down uh, all the iTunes reviews that I hadn't seen yet and show them to me from all over the world. And that's part of the reason for the service or the app is I can go into the iTunes store in the U.S. and see the reviews there, but if I want to see reviews from the U.K., I have to go into the U.K. store and so on. And this, this app and now this service looks at all of, all of the iTunes stores all over the world and, and brings them all together for me. Uh, makes, makes life easier. Um, also, I can copy and paste so that I can read them to you rather because I can't copy and paste out of the iTunes store. It's kind of annoying. Anyway... So the app stopped working. Uh, the person who had developed it stopped supporting it, and 
I think apparently with the the way it was licensed, it had to sort of call home every now and then to make sure it was still licensed. And so when he stopped supporting it, it stopped being able to call home and it then it thought it wasn't licensed and then it wasn't working for me anymore. So anyway, um, here's a few reviews uh, uh, from a while ago uh, and uh, I'll read a few more in, uh, in coming episodes. Uh, one says, great show. Start most days with the show in private or in my car on the way to work. Thank you, Spencer, for your service and all those who support you. Here's another titled Fantastic. This is my favorite podcast. The hosts and the guests are genuine people with problems I can relate to. They do a great job of sharing their own experience, strength, and hope. I listen to old episodes just about every day while I exercise. Thank you. Another one titled It's a Meeting in Your Pocket. My work schedule is pretty intense these days as I dig my way out of the financial difficulty that comes with this disease. I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon and a grateful listener of this podcast. It's like having a meeting in your pocket. Thank you, Spencer, for your commitment to continue with the podcast, even with all the challenges that have come your way. And thank you all for taking the time to let others know about the work we're doing here. And I will be, as I said, sharing more reviews in upcoming episodes. The iTunes reviews and ratings help to make us easier to find by those in need who are seeking recovery. If you're concerned about anonymity, you can give us a rating without writing a review and your identity will not be shown. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show. We do have expenses. They run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web in your ear by leaving a donation. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Kathleen, Michelle, Emily, and Tad did. And thank you so much. Uh, for your continuing support, especially in this time when uh, I'm struggling with uh, keeping the show uh, produced regularly. I will get back to a regular weekly schedule. I, I know that. Um, but I appreciate that, that you're still supporting me now when I'm, when I'm struggling with that. Thank you. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening. We are here for you. The last song selection... Uh, that I picked for this episode is The Circle of Life from the Lion King soundtrack. And again, you can listen to that at therecoveryshow.com slash 116. Here's some lyrics. It's the circle of life, and it moves us all through despair and hope, through faith and love, till we find our place on the path unwinding in the circle, the circle of life. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.